0: You are listening to the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Center's Pastors Scott and Tina Witwam.
1: We started a, uh, what has now become a series because it's two parts, right? So now it's a series. Um, I thought it was a partial lesson, but it has now become at least two, two lessons uh, called All He Began. So go with me to Acts chapter 1, verse 1. We're using this as our basis scripture uh, for this and... It says, the former account I have made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we have an account of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. His ministry. His ministry of reconciliation. His ministry of the kingdom of God. We thank you, Lord, that as we we go back and we look at the Logos, we ask that you bring revelation, as we look at your written word, that you bring the rhema to us, Father, that we would know the heart of the message of the gospel through the deeds and words of Christ. And we'll be sure to give you all the praise, all the honor, and all of the glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. And so we opened up just, and I'm just going to do a, a really quick review here, because as it says here in Acts, he says, Oh, Theophilus, or most excellent Theophilus in Luke 1, 1 or literally friend of God. So we know that, that Luke was literally writing to you and me, to the believer. He was saying that I have set in order these things so that the friends of God, that the believers would have an account of the things that Jesus began to do and teach. So Luke therefore made this historical account for believers to know the true account. You know, that is really important because there was a group that we're creating a false account of the writings of the apostles and of their documentation trying to pervert the early church. But Luke said, hey, this is a true account. This is what I know to have happened, and he has given it to us. But we know that it's not all that Jesus did or said. Because John tells us in twenty-one twenty-five of the Gospel of John that there were also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose even the whole world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. And there's many times as I have, you know, done my studies of, of God, my pursuit of God, my seeking of God, that I, I wished that I had access to many of the lost letters, the lost books. I mean, I know what Paul said to Timothy, but what were the letters from Timothy to Paul that created the responses that we now have documented in the Bible? And yet, with all that we don't have, we have everything we need to prosper spiritually, physically, financially. Everything we need to prosper relationally, to prosper mentally, to to, to advance the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. So what did Jesus begin to do and teach? I think this is a very important question. And and, and these things that that Jesus did say and the things that, 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 that Jesus did do are important to us. Because they should be the things really that we are pursuing to do and say also. And in a culture and time that we're living right now, it's important to know what Jesus did and said. Because it seems like every politician, every newscaster, every political pundit, whether it's in the media or now in the schools, are telling us what Jesus would do. And as I shared, there's even one governor on the west coast of the United States that has put up billboards telling us that Jesus would endorse abortion. Right has become wrong. Right, And they're trying to turn the truth into a fable, and fables into truth. And so it's important that we know what Jesus did and said, so we will not be deceived by doctrines of demons. And that's literally what they are proclaiming. But there's a whole generation, and there's a large world out there that does not know. That maybe they get their religious context from one of the major news networks. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me based on the condition of of the church in America universally. For instance, Jesus paid his taxes. And for you note takers this week, you can find that in Matthew 17, 26, and 27. Jesus paid his taxes. I don't have to like what the government has decided that I should pay for taxes. I don't have to like what the government is doing with my tax dollars. But I live in a republic and I have a right to vote for my representatives to make my voice heard. But I have a responsibility to pay my taxes. Jesus went to the synagogue each week. Luke 4, 16. So basically, Jesus went to church. What's the difference? The synagogue is literally, it's not a place, it's a people. The synagogue is the gathering of Israel gathering of the Jews just like the church is not a place the church is a people it's the ecclesia it's those who are called out of the world system and so Jesus went to church and I've had people say well you know I don't need to go to church I don't need those big boxes I can I can do church on my own I can you know worship God at my house you know I can I can watch Uh, adrian rogers on television you know and thank god for television ministry and for internet ministry i got saved through television not christian television in washington state kcpq channel 13 it was just the fox news station but pastor casey treat had the boldness to go on television and i heard his message at 14 years old and gave my heart to the lord But we have to to understand that that's just where it starts. The the, The church, our gathering together and meeting here on Sunday, is not about winning souls. This is not where ministry happens. Ministry happens when you leave these doors. It happens with your neighbors. It happens at supermarkets. It happens at work. That's where the gospel is. Jesus didn't go into the synagogue and say, Now come on to me, all you who are labor and heavy burden, and I'll give you rest. No, he went out to the masses. He went out to the people. And sometimes he didn't go out to the people. He just went out to the field, and here they came. He went out trying to find a place to pray, and here they came. And that should be the story of the church. We should be going into the hedges, the highways, the byways with the gospel. And then we bring them in to be discipled to be healed, to put on their suits of armor, and get in this good fight of faith. Amen? Amen. Jesus also said, do not murder, and don't even be angry with your brother without a cause. Matthew 5, 21 through 22. And yet there's a governor putting up a billboard that says Jesus would be okay with abortion. Jesus says, don't murder. That includes little babies. Before they're born. So go back with me to the book of Acts chapter 1. I want to read Acts 1 through 3, and then we'll, we'll launch off again from here. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. I want to focus on this infallible proofs. One of the reasons is, is when we look at this work, this this Greek word here, tekmerion, it, it means proof that is defined by fact. And that's why I say, this here is the infallible Word of God. It's defined by fact. It's defined by the truth teller. And if you adhere to this, you'll never get fouled up. It's infallible. It'll keep you from getting fouled up. Amen? Webster says, infallible means incapable of being wrong." Luke says, these are infallible proofs. These proofs are, are, can never be wrong. This is what happened. These miracles, these sayings, the things that Jesus did, this is it. It's incapable of being wrong. It also goes on to say, it, it, it's evidence establishing validity, like in a court case. You know that word I, I mentioned there, come, let us reason together. That literally is the definition of a court case. Let us reason together. Let us debate together. You present your side, and I present mine. It is actually a template for prayer. You present your case to God, and then He presents His case to you. You know, somebody said, you know, yeah, when you ask for prayer, God will either say yes or no. Well, no, that's not the way it works. God always says yes. See, the problem is is, is we bring Him the wrong information, We bring him the wrong claims. Our case is not sustainable in light of this. See, there's only only one one book. That's why James says, the prayer of faith will save the sick. He didn't say more prayer. He didn't say, go get 1,500 people because all of a sudden you'll have enough people you can overcome any situation. See, more faithless prayer gets no answers. Brother Norval Hayes used to say, it's just a bunch of bawling and squalling. You know? The prayer of faith saves the sick. From that, we can learn that the prayer of faith will move mountains. Jesus said that, didn't he, in Mark chapter 11? I mean, we've heard that plenty. Jesus said, when you stand praying, believe that you receive. That believing is connected to what the writer of Hebrews said, now faith is. Infallible proofs. You know the interesting thing is the life of Jesus is not only proven biblically by the mouth of two or three witnesses. It is also proven historically. Now they're trying to get rid of the historical record and one thing I can say that the Catholic Church has done very good is they have have hoarded everything that they can find that was written in the early days. You know what I mean? And so you know, it's hard to erase history. and In fact, is even, even Bill O'Reilly, uh, who's a Catholic, uh, wrote a book called Killing Jesus. And it didn't take it from a religious perspective. It took the account from a historical perspective and does a very good job of proving the biblical account of Jesus' life. Infallible proofs. So no matter how much they try with American history to change it and expunge it, the facts are still the facts. They are infallible. We are a Christian nation. 95% of the 250 founding fathers were Orthodox Christians and outspoken in their faith. The very Declaration of Independence and Constitution, whether it's the two treatises, the, the sermon that, that Hooker gave, they are based upon biblical principles. You could call it, say... Uh, judeo-christian principles infallible so let's talk of things some of the things that jesus began go with me to matthew chapter 3 verse 13 through 15 matthew 3 13 through 15 and it says here then jesus came from galilee to john at the jordan to be baptized by him and john tried to prevent him saying i need to be baptized by you And are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. See, Jesus begins to show us right here the importance, not of baptism. See, I think some people have missed it here. Jesus was not showing us the importance of baptism. The Jews already knew this. John baptizing people was not out of the ordinary. There were other people who would baptize people in the Jordan River as a sign of a repentant life towards God. It was very culturally appropriate. But as John is going out, he's saying, Hey, repent, because there's one coming after me who's greater than me, who will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with power. And people were coming to Him. They were flocking to Him. So many people were coming to Him that the Pharisees and Sadducees started coming to Him, the religious leaders of the day, to get in on it. See, what we missed here is we thought that this is all about baptism, but it's not. It's about obedience. See, Jesus understood obedience. And if we look at this, Here we see, thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. See, others were being baptized, but the Holy Spirit didn't descend upon them. And I I know I've heard it. Well, that's because they weren't the Son of God. Jesus was the Son of God. Well, Jesus was, was the Son of God, is the Son of God, but it was His obedience in connection with the process that opened the windows, allowed the Holy Spirit to descend upon him, and baptized him with the Holy Spirit. I mean, God is God. God could have baptized him in the Holy Spirit when he was 12 years old, taken to task the people in the marketplace. They were astonished at his wisdom. Remember that? Mom and dad couldn't find him, and and when they did find him, Jesus says, hey, you know, Uh, why wouldn't you have thought that I would have been back there doing what my Father has has put me on the earth to do? I mean, the Holy Spirit could have come in that moment had He wanted to, but it wasn't the appointed time. And that's sometimes the reason why, why our miracles in our lives are delayed. Because we miss the appointed time. God never misses the appointed time but sometimes we miss the appointed time because we are not walking in obedience. But when obedience met the opportune time through the, op- the opportune action, see, it was, it was prudent, then righteousness came. What does that mean? Because Jesus now was in the right standing, the right favor with God. You know, I'm not saying it can't happen, but it's very unlikely that you're going to experience your greatest moment with God visiting a brothel. You know what I mean? Most people don't experience their greatest moments of healing, of supernatural miracles while they're at an alcohol party. I mean, it's just the way it is. But when you meet your opportune time, the Bible calls it a Kronos, a kairos moment. Excuse me, Kronos is logical, kairos is appointed. When you meet a kairos, or a, a time that is divine by God, with obedience. I mean, Saul had that moment. King Saul, think about this. King Saul is given a word by Samuel and told exactly what to do, and in that moment... He he has an opportunity for a kairos moment, a, a, a time to be at the appointed place and do the appointed thing that God has called him to do and probably be the greatest king that Israel has ever had. But what happened? The obedience ingredient was missing. And Saul got it in his head that, hey, I'm the king. I know what God would like better than what he told me to do. I mean, how many of us have been there? We thought we had a better way, right? And Saul thought he had a better way than what God did. And he says, hey, don't kill all of this off. Save these sheep. Save this, and I will go back and offer it to God, and it will be great. See, God is looking for obedience because he can use obedience It's hard for him to use disobedience. Think about Jonah. God had instructed Jonah to go and do a specific thing at a specific time. But Jonah wanted nothing to do with the Ninevites. He was just, he he thought God should just wipe them off the earth. You know, they're sinners, they're gonna be sinners. Just wipe them off the earth. And God says to Jonah, no, I want you to go down and share, share the word with them. Salvation's coming through you, buddy. And so what did Jonah do? He rebelled. He went into disobedience. He missed his appointed time opportunity. And it wasn't until God could get Jonah back on track, and in this case, it came through the belly of a great fish, right? Yeah, so he spent three days in Jonah Romas eating ribs. Yeah. But it wasn't until he got him back where Jonah says, okay, Lord, things are smelling a little fishy in here. I think spit me out and I will go to Nineveh. See, in his disobedience, he wasn't able to fulfill the God-given and appointed plan that he had for him. But when he got obedient, what happened? He went down... To Nineveh. And what happened in Nineveh? There was a revival, right? The city was saved. We're not going to read it again today, and I'm way off track from my lesson, so we'll just keep going off track. Um, you think about the day of Pentecost, right? Jesus is taken up into a cloud. They stand gazing, and uh, the two angels say, hey, what are you guys looking at? Well, you know, Jesus, man, he, he, he took off out of here. And they said, you know, he's coming back. Go be obedient, right? Go tarry you in Jerusalem. Get in that upper room. Get ready. Because at the appointed time... Now, what would have happened if all the apostles would have said, well, you know, we were really bummed when Jesus was crucified and put in the tomb. But you know what? Our hearts jumped with joy when He rose from the dead. And for 40 days, He spoke to us about these infallible... uh, uh, you know, things to come about these truths, uh, these things that are about to come. We were on fire, but, but he's gone again. Peter says, well, you know what? I've got a fishing business. I'm just going to go fishing. And Matthew goes, I'm going to go back to collecting taxes. And, you know, what if they would just all gone back and said, you know, we're not staying here in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a mess. It is a mega city. And, uh, you know, the matters groups are protesting everywhere. And uh, we don't want anything to do with it. We're out of here. I mean, because remember, it wasn't really fun in Jerusalem for, for Christians in the early days. I mean, you know, when you got guys like, like, like Nero on the, the loose up in Rome getting ready to blame Christians for a great fire, and, and you got people like Paul going around with letters and, and uh, you know, throwing people in jail. I mean, th- this is not necessarily a, a fun time uh, to be a proclaimer of this new... Um, sect, that they, they called it, Christianity, right? To be a believer. What if they wouldn't have been there? There would have been no obedience and there would have been a no connection. I don't know what God would have done, how He would have done it. Here's the thing about God. God has a plan and it's going to be fulfilled. That I do know. Now, whether you're in it or I'm in it will depend on our obedience. Whether we're part of that plan it will depend on our obedience. So they're in the, they're in the upper room. They're in one accord, they're praying, they're singing hymns, and then just like on the Jordan River, here comes the Holy Spirit, but instead of coming just to to Christ, coming just to anoint the son of God for his uh, his ministry here on the earth, he came to the whole of the group, and baptized them all with tongues of fire, and because of the appointed moment, the appointed time, the appointed obedience, 3,000 people got saved that day, in one baptism of the Holy Ghost service, right, speaking with other tongues, and people from all over Asia, and all over the Middle East, heard them speaking in their own language, So this this account here that we see with Jesus at the Jordan River really was an act of obedience. And we see that as it plays out in other places uh, throughout the Bible. Go with me to John 14, 23. In John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home in him. See, it's interesting that Jesus connected one's love with their obedience to keeping His word. I've heard a lot of people tell me that they love Jesus, but they're not doing anything God's called them to do, told them to do, or anything that's even written in here. I know, because I grew, I grew up as as you know, as a Catholic, and we we talked about a, a lot about how we love God, but we didn't do anything for God. Talked a lot about, you know, how how. Uh, you know christmas and easter were about god but our lives weren't representative of pursuing his word doing what he said of loving him through obedience so if we're if we love him we'll keep his word and we will do what he said to do and how he said to do it amen See, this defies our social norms. Sometimes it's hard. We get this disconnect because it defies social norms. Because in in our society, Nike says, just do it. Not wait for the Holy Spirit. No, just do it. If it feels good, do it. I think that started in the 60s. For those of you who are a little older than me, you probably remember those days. But really, there has become this attitude, if it feels good, do it, and if it doesn't feel good, don't do it. Or, I'll do it my way. You remember that one. Don't worry, grace will cover that. You don't have to be obedient, grace will cover it. Grace has not replaced obedience. Grace has not replaced loving Jesus. Grace has not replaced the heart of worship in touching God. Whatever happens in Texas stays in Texas? Well, you know what you know what I'm, you know the saying. But see, those are, the, those are the ideas and thoughts that permeate our society, and those have come in and begin to be permeated in the church. Well, pastor, it's OK. I was only an adulterer one time. You know, Pastor, it's okay, I only robbed one bank. You know, I mean, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my word. Then my Father and I will come and make our home in you. In Luke 9, 23, he said to them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You know, the interesting thing in my Bible, both of these are written in red. Because these are the words of Jesus. What have you denied of yourself lately? Not what has been denied you. See, some people get that confused. Some people think because they were denied something, then they denied themselves of something. No, it's not the same. When have you done something that is not real convenient for you, may not even be good for you, But in both cases, it was good for what God called you to do or spoke to you to do. What voluntary decision have you made lately to deny yourself for the betterment of the kingdom? You know, Psalms 128.1, I'm going to read it from the NIV. It says, Blessed are all who fear the Lord and who walk in obedience to Him. My greatest desire as a pastor is to have a congregation who will hear the Holy Spirit and then do what He says to do. In every area of your life and in mine, whether it's in our, in our relationships, whether it's in our um, physical bodies, or whether it's in our finances, I want to listen to the Holy Spirit and have a heart after Him even when it's inconvenient for me. Amen? For Jesus, it was absolute obedience. Sometimes for us, it's accidental you know, obedience. It's like we trip on a rock and fall into being obedient where God wanted us to be. You know, We accidentally get to where He can actually use us. For Jesus, it was intentional. For us, it should be intentional. We should be living intentionally with an intentional desire to hear His Word and do it. In John 5, 19, it says, And Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself, but what He sees the Father do. For whatever He, the Father, does, the Son also does in like manner. You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. But I think a better... Uh, way to say this is imitate christ as christ imitated the father you know i love the apostle paul he wrote two-thirds of the new testament but when it comes to watching paul's example and watching jesus's example i'd rather walk first like jesus and let paul walk after me or him you know what i mean because if you're walking like Jesus, then you should be automatically doing what 1 Corinthians 11 1 says. But many times we found it easier to, to read the epistles instead of the gospels. Let me try to cruise us in here to, to home plate. In John eight thirty seven and 38, let me just read 38. Jesus said, I speak what I have seen with my Father. And you do, he's talking to the Pharisees and says, and you do what your fa- you see your father do, the devil. See, we need to see what, the, through the lens of the father. He has given us, you know, an incredible road map for living. In every area of life, if we will seek first the kingdom. And find out what his will is for our life. And that's the same way in our conversation." You know, we can have obedient conversation to God. You know, Proverbs 18, 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. See, we are the ones who are having problems speaking God talk. See, God designed it, understood the importance of it, of speaking what God speaks. Jesus was the the framer of it. Jesus only speaks God speak. You can see that in John six thirty three. Jesus not only spoke and speaks God's Word, He is the manifestation of God's Word. Right? John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And in verse 14 it says, That Word took on flesh. Jesus is the Word of God. So obedience with His Word is obedience with the Father's Word. And the Father only speaks faith. I mean, we can be obedient to God by just changing the things that we say. I mean, in Romans 4.17, He said, He calls those things that be not as though they are. I mean, think about think about. I mean, it's almost tough to think about because... God doesn't live on the same timeline or uh, in the same way we do, the same dimension that we do. You know, here's God, and He has perfect vision, but to us, it's complete darkness. How do I know that? Because in verse 3 of Genesis 1, He said, He said, let there be light. And light was. Because God is light. He doesn't doesn't have a comprehension of darkness because darkness flees from him. So you're you're no less called to be obedient to speaking the word of God than Jesus was. And we should be calling things that be not as though they were. And that's why when somebody gives you bad news, what you do is you filter it through the filter of faith. Bad news just becomes another faith opportunity in the life of a believer. Somebody comes to you and says, hey, your business is failing, so-and-so did this, that, and the other thing. You say, my God supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory. He said that he would make me prosperous and give me good success. He said that he would give me the treasures of darkness and the hidden riches of secret places. So I hear what you're saying, but it doesn't line up with the Word. And between you and the Word, I choose the Word. See, we become obedient to God's Word, and it will change our life. This is part of what Jesus began. And I think it's good that that if, if we look at our own selves through the lens of obedience. Amen? Father, we thank you for everything that you do in our life. I, myself, will endeavor to be obedient as you speak me, where you lead me, where you call me. And it's my prayer for each and every person here today that they will hear you and they will answer and be led by the Spirit of God. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.
0: You have been listening to a recording from the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Center with senior pastors Scott and Tina Witwam. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to pray this simple prayer with me now. Jesus, according to Romans 10.9, your word says, If I confess you as Lord and Savior and believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead, that you would come into my heart and I would be saved. I now confess and believe that you are my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, please contact our office so that we may rejoice together with you. Call Valor Christian Center at 480-545-4321. That's 480-545-4321. Or by email at info at valorcc.com. That's info at com, or by mail to the church address at 3015 East Warner Road, Gilbert, Arizona 85296.